Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump goes to Europe and bashes the United States. Well, what the hell? He does it every day at home. So I guess... Why not in Germany and Poland? Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Friday? Good to see you on this Friday, July 7. It is the Bill Press Show, and we are off and running for the next two hours with the news of the day uh, from here in Washington, D.C. That's where we're located and our studio in Capitol Hill. Uh, the news here from Washington, such as it is around the country, around the globe with particular attention, of course, to Warsaw yesterday with uh, Donald Trump and uh, Hamburg, Germany today with the other members of the G20. And Donald Trump has already told us this morning, you won't believe it, where do you hear what everybody, what everybody at the G20 is talking about? Could it be trade, world trade? Could it be climate change? Could it be immigration? You may be surprised to hear. We'll let you know uh, and look forward to hearing from you about all of the above, what's going on. Uh, by the way, the ethics, the only uh, person in Washington, D.C. who seems to be concerned about ethics these days, Walter Schaub, announced yesterday that he is stepping down, uh, which means, I guess, anything goes in the Trump White House from now on. We'll cover all of that and look forward to hearing from you about what you think about the news of the day. You know how to do so. Go to Twitter and send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. It's easy, easy, easy. We want to hear from you. But first, this is the Full right, Press. Peter, what's up? Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Is marijuana good for business? Yes. Well, that's... That's the short way to put it. We go to Nevada, where marijuana was legalized recreationally, which we knew. And so it is on sale. I forgot. Nevada's... Nevada, it is legal. It's recreational pot is legal there. Man, walking it's... down the strip these you days imagine? is going to be an extra high. As if it wasn't wild enough. I know. Now Whoa. you can get high and do it. Well, here's the thing. It's been on sale for four days in Nevada. Oh, Four okay. days. It has generated... $3 million in sales revenue and about $500,000 in tax revenue. That's not a lot. 
Five hundred thousand dollars in four days. Is it bigger than Colorado and Washington's state first of, uh, uh, Nevada? Well, Nevada's not. I mean, it's not a hugely populated state. I'll put yeah. it this way: they are on track to achieve an estimated thirty million dollars in sales revenue over six months. Oh, that's good. That's pretty damn good. This is, right. Remember, okay. this is just four days. Yeah. Four days yeah. of sales. So per capita, this is better than Colorado or exactly. Washington. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, because there are more people there. So yeah. uh, Saturday was the first day that it was available. <laughs> and then to Tuesday, they're taxing it at a rate of 33 to 38%, depending on the Man. local regulations, which mm. is high. Yeah, yeah. Pardon the pun. Uh, Massachusetts, and, by the way, they're still trying to figure out what the tax rate's going to be. And it's in that, that ballpark, but they're yeah, trying to get right. it down. That's been going on for a while up there. Yeah. But Nevada just, like, plowed through with this, and they are making money. Smart. $30 million they anticipate to to bring in the first six months. States that don't do it are just dumb as hell. It's just leaving money on the table. Leaving money on the table. just leaving money on the table. Absolutely. We go to- the best thing about Nevada is, you know, what happens in Vegas. That's true. (laughs) That's true. We go to uh, Auburn, Maine, where a professional runner from Kenya was out for a morning run. Mm -hmm. He spotted- Two black bears mm-hmm. while he was out on his run. Now, what do you do when you see a black bear? That's Jamie. He lives in Maine. What do you do when you see a black bear? You run. You climb a tree. You, well, no, because bears can climb trees. Oh. And you're not supposed to run either because they'll chase you. But this guy is a professional runner from Kenya. So he turned around and he ran. And he said as soon as he turned his back to the bears, they started chasing them. He ran to a nearby vacant house where he got in. Saved himself from the bears, but I guess if you're not a professional marathoner from Kenya, are you supposed to like act bigger than you yeah, are? Yeah, you're supposed to get big. No. That's you're what they say about big. mountain lions too. Guess what? <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to put your hands up. Yeah, I see. Look, loud as look how tall I am. <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump arm wrestles with Vladimir Putin today. Uh, Well, man, I got to tell you, if it comes to body weight, Donald Trump wins. If it comes to craftiness uh, and outsmarting him, uh, Vladimir Putin, hands down. What do you say, folks? Hello, everybody, on a Friday, July 7th. Great to see you. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Bill Press Show. We are with you all across this great land of ours. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. We're all part of the Young Turks Network, and we uh, express that and come to you uh, with the Young Turks on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, on Free Speech TV. Uh, and so if you've uh, got a little satellite dish, you're part of DirecTV, and more and more people are, millions and millions more are, uh, we salute you. Find us on Free Speech TV. And it's so great to be in Chicago every single day, the whole Chicago area on WCPT. Talk to some uh, good friends and good listeners who happen to be in town. Ran into them yesterday downtown uh, who listen every day on WCPT on Chicago. And you know what I heard more and more? about during my vacation, ran into uh, several people who said, oh, man, oh, no, I, I'm a podcast person. I listen every day on the podcast, every day. Podcast is really taken off. It really is. Uh, and so may, that may be your best way. You know, maybe you're tied up in the morning getting kids to school, off to school, driving them to school, whatever. Uh, you can't catch all the show in the morning. 
you can pick up the podcast, the Bill Press Show podcast, at any time by just going to BillPressShow.com or any of the apps that take you to Podcast Bill, um, iTunes, whatever. Yeah, yeah, iTunes has a great podcast. So it's a whole app. show. If you're not right. an Apple person, you're using any other uh, podcast app. And if you're not a smartphone like, like. person, uh, just go to BillPressShow.com. Yeah, BillPressShow.com. We have a player right. there if you want to just just listen to it online or however you want to get it. We've got it right there for you. So it's like the whole two hours, or it's the whole two hours. We don't cut anything out of it. All killer, no filler. All killer, no filler. I like that. Yes, indeed. Man, there's so much to talk about today. Lots of lots of stuff going on. One thing that really caught my attention this morning, uh, before we get to uh, the G20 and Donald Trump in Warsaw, is um, D.C. Washington D.C. has become not only the capital of the United States but the capital of the resistance. The Washington Post reported reporting this morning that one out of three people walk down the street of Washington D.C. One out of three people you see here. Uh, have protested Donald Trump, have been out in a, uh, participating in one of the marches or some kind of protest uh, against Donald Trump. Now, there are two ways of looking at that. One is, why so low, right? That yeah. means, But that doesn't mean the other two-thirds agree with Donald Trump. In fact, I think Hillary Clinton carried the District of Columbia by something like 98% probably, right? I mean, pretty high. Yeah. That's, I'm exaggerating, but... No doubt about this is a democratic. This is a democratic, yeah. But you know, some people still have to work, right? Bus drivers are not out there, probably marching that kind of thing. But a one out of three, there there is no other city in the country where you could walk down the street and say, "Boop!" Every third person has been out there. I mean, this is not one out of three people don't like Donald Trump. This is one out of three people have been out and participated in a protest against Donald Trump. So uh, what I think is, first of all, we got to get the numbers up in D.C., but this is really like the capital of the resistance. And the other thing is, we got to get those numbers up to one out of three everywhere in the country. Yeah. If we get to that level, 2020, baby, get out. If not before, you're out of town, Donald Trump. Protesting has become a social event in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. I mean, people descend on D.C. because it's the capital and this is where most of the protests happen, so it's convenient for people to get out and protest. But, like, with every big protest that happens in D.C., I've noticed that there are protests all around the country, right? So, like, we had the Women's March here, which was huge. And then all the sister marches. And then they, they did all me. the sister marches. Same thing yeah. with the Science March. Uh, so, like, you know, you can get involved wherever you are. It's a very walkable city, too. It's a very walkable city. Especially up here on Capitol Hill. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's a good point. All around the capital and the mall. I mean, this whole area. In fact, I don't know what part of Washington is not walkable. Right? I mean, think about it. Well, <laughs> I mean, in I terms won't go of there. Well, wait. No, in terms of hills, I'm thinking. Oh yeah, yeah, terrain wise. Terrain wise. Mm. I mean, Rock Creek Park. Yeah. You walk that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could walk, right, but I, you won't have any protest marches there at any rate. Yes, so the big news of the day, you got Donald Trump going to, to uh, uh, you know, I have to tell you, uh, honestly, uh, I heard him in Warsaw give this speech where basically his message was uh, that Western civilization is at risk, and if we don't protect our borders, Western civilization is going to crumble. Will we 
preserve our civilization. Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? Do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? You know, I don't really know what he's talking about, talking about but who knows, because he didn't give any specifics. You know, these are just kind of generalities. But I tell you, to me, it was like deja vu. I sat across from Pat Buchanan for years on Crossfire and on Buchanan and Press on MSNBC. And if you've ever read any one of Pat's most recent books, well, the last two have been about Richard Nixon, but any of those before that, there were like three books in a row. That's exactly what his message was every single night I heard on Crossfire or on Buchanan and Press that Western civilization is under attack. We are about to fall uh, as, as, a, as a civilization. Why? Because there are more and more foreigners around. And let's face it, there are more and more dark-skinned people around. And Latinos are the fastest-growing um, population group in the United States of America. And you can't get on a city bus or on a subway or go into any store hardly without hearing somebody speak Spanish. I mean, it is this phobia about change, about demographics, about the future, I think, and about reality, you know, that we are, the world is, has changed and is changing fast. And these are not fears that young people share. These are fears, I think, that older white farts share, right? And that Donald Trump is expressing. There's a, there's a real xenophobic, nationalistic, racist tinge to this whole idea that our Western civilization is threatened, under attack, uh, and crumbling. And of course, Donald Trump says the key is uh, protecting our borders, which of course he's alluding to, you know what, um, his, um, his famous wall, which is going to be a beautiful wall, though, on this side. Oh, the other side, forget about it. Yeah, the other side is going to be just ugly. That's why they're going to pay for it, so they can look at that ugly side of it. Uh, in Warsaw, also Donald Trump, uh, he said some interesting things without mentioning but Russia. Now, he's in Poland, remember, and there's this tension between, of course, Russia and Poland, Poland right there on the border. Uh, and Donald Trump saying some critical things about Russia. Uh, we'll, wonder, we'll wonder if he picks these same things up in his meeting with Vladimir Putin later today. Um, but here he is... Um, um, not not very subtly criticizing Russia. To meet new forms of aggression, including propaganda, financial crimes, and cyber warfare, we must adapt our alliance to compete effectively in new ways and on all new battlefields. Now, again, that sounds good, but at his news conference yesterday, well, first of all, let's put it in context. He talked about cybersecurity. We gotta, we gotta meet meet Russia on that on that on that battlefield, and yet still to this day, Donald Trump has not condemned Russia for hacking into um, dozens of states' election systems, attempting to, and for definitely hacking into uh, and 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 uh, it, inter interfering and trying to. Uh, affect the outcome 
of the 2016 presidential election in this country. Still has not condemned that. And yesterday at his news conference, he followed the Kremlin line exactly, saying, well, everybody says Russia did it. We're not really sure Russia did it. And he says, I think maybe maybe Russia did, but a lot other countries probably did too. And trashing the intelligence communities here, saying intelligence, our intelligence agencies, saying they didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, Adam Schiff, ranking Democrat on the uh, House Intelligence Committee yesterday, had something to say about that. Where again, this, this is this is what the Kremlin says. Nobody knows for sure that we did this. For the President of the United States to essentially toe the Kremlin line that nobody knows for sure who is responsible for the hacking, it doesn't put America first at all. Uh, it represents a, a complete capitulation to the Kremlin's point of view uh, and, and deeply inimical to our national interests. Right. So how certain are we that Russia did hack into our election? There is no doubt about it. Again, 17 U.S. intelligence agencies. And yes, Mr. Trump, there are that many intelligence agencies. <laughs> huh? Yes, yes. Oh, my God. Right. I have to say, I, I did something I don't make a habit out of doing yesterday. Is I sat down and I watched some Fox News. And I watched Shep Smith, who is the only reason to ever watch Fox News. Totally. Because Shep Smith is fantastic. Yeah. No, uh, absolutely. A he, big fan. He played some of these clips of Donald Trump talking about, you know, we don't know who it was. It could have been Russia. It could have been anybody. It could have been any of these countries. It could have and, and Shep just looks at the camera and just says, Mr. President, we know that Russia tried and successfully interfered mm-hmm. with our elections. Mm-hmm. Full, Full stop. stop. <laughs> ah. Did you say it at the same time? Very yeah. good. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh. and just shut it down. Yeah. All right. So, so. <laughs> Full stop. Full stop. So yesterday, James Clapper, uh, CNN brought out James Clapper, former head of the NSA, again, one of the 17 intelligence agencies. Uh, we ought to list them and, 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 and put a little, next time I'm in the White House, I'll take a little list in of the agencies, right? A Perfect. Little, yeah. I'm sure they'd them, appreciate that. Tack them to the podium so that uh, they know that they do exist. So James Clapper was on CNN yesterday talking to Jim Shuto, great investigative uh, journalist, uh, saying once again, there ain't no doubt, baby. Do, do you have any doubt, or was there any objection from inside the intelligence community on that conclusion that Russia was behind these attacks? Absolutely none, and I don't have any doubt yet today. No, no, no doubt yet today. Um, and then uh, Donald Trump goes on, went on to um, uh, to Hamburg, where he is now. Uh, did have a brief meeting with. Uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel. They did shake hands this time. It was nice. Oh, good. He agreed to do that. It was an awkward again. Uh, and unlike his the uh, warm reception that he got in Poland. By the way, the other thing about Poland before we leave there is it, it was very uh, not a surprise to hear Donald Trump bash the media again. Yes, he took advantage of a news conference in Warsaw, Poland to bash CNN and NBC. Uh, standing alongside of the president of Poland, who also bragged about trying to shut down the ability of Polish journalists to cover the Polish parliament, and has actually arrested some journalists in Poland. He is he is he is the authoritarian that Donald Trump wishes he were. Uh, but the two of them standing side by side, talking about uh, basically bashing the media. 
disgusting performance. Goes on to Hamburg, Germany, where there were some 20,000 pro- protesters, 15,000, 20,000 protesters uh, yesterday. They brought out the uh, water cannons, uh, and uh, here's what it sounded like in the streets of Hamburg. Saying, but, uh, this is what democracy looks like. It's awfully familiar to the protests we were talking about earlier. Exactly. So I, I've, I've heard, heard that before. Sounded like Washington, D.C. Sure sounded like Freedom Plaza downtown <laughs> right near the White House. Yeah, indeed. Uh, they are expecting some 100,000 protesters today. Of course, they won't get anywhere near the uh, the G20 summit. Um, but it does show that, uh, uh, that Europe is aware of what's going on in this country of the buffoon we elected, who got elected, we didn't elect him, uh, and uh, and his policies, and how they run counter to everything that the other leaders of the G20 are doing. Uh, so, I, as I mentioned uh, at the top of the hour, what are uh, what is the substance of the talks in uh, uh, in at the at the G20? Now, remember, these are the uh, top leaders of the world, the leaders of the twenty most powerful nations on the planet. Uh, They have all assembled there. They brought their top aides yesterday. I saw a photo there. Donald Trump, he had the Secretary of the Treasury on one side, the Homeland Security Secretary on the other side. You know, he's got his top people, probably hundreds and hundreds of uh, White House and and, uh, and administration staffers. Uh, Every single president from every country has got the same sort of entourage, maybe not quite as big. Uh, and there is an army of reporters there camped out. Uh, and what are they all talking about? Well, now we know because Donald Trump has told us that in everywhere you go in Hamburg, in the official meetings, outside the meetings, in the hallways, in the cafes of coffee shops, <laughs> in the bars, in the barber shops, people waiting in line for movies in Hamburg. We know now what everybody is talking about because Donald Trump tweeted it this morning, and here's what he said, quote, everyone here is talking, this is from Hamburg this morning, an hour ago, everyone here is talking about why John Podesta refused to give the DNC server to the FBI and the CIA. Disgraceful. That's the official word. From Hamburg and the G20. Isn't that nice to know? Great. Yeah. Now we know. God, it's great they all got together in Hamburg to talk about <laughs> By the way, John Podesta. Can you believe? Wait. Would somebody tell Donald Trump, A, yes, there are 17 intelligence agencies, number one. Number two, John Podesta was not the head of the deal. For, for first of all, right. just the idea that right. anybody over there knows who the F John Podesta is, is so insane. Stupid. But also... John Podesta was not the head of the DNC. If anybody didn't give the server over, it was Debbie Wasserman Schultz. John Podesta was chairman of the Hillary Clinton campaign, whose emails were also hacked. You know, come on, Trump, you're so far off, but it is just insane. Here's what I was thinking this morning. If any, there's an army of reporters over there, right? Mm. Hundreds from the United States. If any one of them stood up and gave a broadcast and gave a little report, okay? Well, the president is in Hamburg, Germany today. Let's go to um, Jim Acosta from CNN. Uh, Jim Acosta, let's go for watching CNN. Let's go to Jim Acosta in Warsaw for the latest from the summit. And if Jim Acosta said, 
Everyone here is talking about why John Podesta refused to get right. Imagine he'd be fired in a New York second. Yeah, I mean that's not true. It is simply so far off. It's like anybody, nobody cares. I mean, the Drudge Report wouldn't put that out there. I mean, this is so nobody at the far G20 from reality cares about John Podesta. Nobody cares. And nobody cares. I, I, I'd say. And nobody cares what Donald Trump says. I'd say 18 out of the 20 at the G20 don't even know the name John Podesta. I'd say 19. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, seriously. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. Come on, it's, guys. It's so, it's so insane. But it, We're does, about- it shows you the obsession of Donald Trump has. Here yeah. is a guy who, by hook or by crook, mainly by crook, got to the White House and still can't accept the fact that not everybody loves him and gushes over him and believes that he belongs there. I mean, just well, look guess at, what, dude? Do you got to look at some of his tweets, right? These have been gotten kind of interesting when, I think it's sort of earlier this week, you know, oh, I have a call with the Prime Minister of Italy. Oh, I know. Yeah. Earlier today, it was after Poland had a great meeting with Merkel and PM Shinzo Abe of Japan and President Moon of South Korea. It's like, so what? That's what you're supposed to be doing? And it's not really your job to be updating us on all that? And in about three hours, he's going to sit down for his meeting oh, yeah. with Vladimir Putin. And NBC News confirmed <coughs> there will be six people in the room. Mm-hmm. Six people in the room when they meet. Trump, Putin, Tillerson, Lavrov, and their two translators. And that's it. That's it. And we remember the last time Lavrov cleaned his clock. Yeah, Lavrov sure got, him, got him talking and, and giving away state secrets. And again... <laughs> if these two are arm wrestling, yeah, when it comes to who's the biggest, who weighs more, it's Donald Trump. Who's the craftier? Who's the smarter? Uh, who's the more experienced? Who's the slyer? Who's, right? Yeah. Uh, it is Vladimir Putin. There is um, some uh, good news out of Hamburg. Uh, and in fact, I would say the big, the big star in Hamburg yesterday uh, was not there. Uh, he appeared by video conference. Uh, he is California Governor Jerry Brown, who actually gave a talk to the Global Citizens Festival, which is happening simultaneously with the G20 in Hamburg. And he announced yesterday that California is going to host a global summit on climate change in San Francisco on September in September 2018, that will be right toward the end of Jerry Brown's uh, second term as second term in his second time <laughs> as governor of California. Um, here's what uh, the governor said: Look, it's up to you, and it's up to me, and tens of millions of other people to get it together to roll back the forces of carbonization and join together to combat the existential threat of climate change. That is why we're having the Climate Action Summit in San Francisco, September 2018. Jerry Brown continues, Yes, I know President Trump is trying to get out of the Paris Agreement, but he doesn't speak for the rest of America. We in California and in states all across America believe it's time to act. This is the first time that any American state has hosted an international climate change meeting. Uh, and Donald and Jerry Brown is doing that, of course, 
uh, to defy Donald Trump right in the face of Donald Trump, right when Donald Trump is there denying climate change uh, in front of all the other world leaders, who, by the way, 19 out of 20 of them, 19 out of 20 of them, Donald Trump being the one exception, believe climate change is real and believe they have to band together to to reverse the trend. Uh, Donald Trump, the outlier here. Uh, so, good for Jerry Brown. Yeah, uh, that's the way that this that's that's the way the country is moving, at least under President. Yeah. Okay. Donald Trump. Trump. You don't believe it? You don't want to? You don't want to go that? Well, too bad. Fine. You know, too bad. We're, we're going gonna to move ahead without you. We're going to move ahead without you. We're not going to follow your lead. That's, we're finding out a lot about the presidency too as we move along in yeah, this in this term right. of Donald Trump. Right? Like, who cares? Yeah. I said that yesterday in, in terms of, and I wrote my column about that, uh, which we'll be sending out if you follow us on Twitter. You'll be getting it. Um, my column for the Chicago Tribune today makes the same point about his attacks on the media. Okay, let him attack the media. You know, who cares? We're just going to continue to do our job. Yeah. But just ignore the president. He's a buffoon. He's a clown. But just ignore him and continue to do our job. Um, so uh, we, we mentioned one governor, outstanding Doing an incredible job, showing real leadership. Jerry Brown of California. Uh, on the other side of the country, this side of the country, another governor. Uh, not not uh, a, a role model uh, by any means, and that is Paula Page of the state. Sorry, Jamie, we hate to And not an accurate representation of my great state of Maine, okay? Do not look at Paula Page and say, that's Maine. So, like, Donald Trump doesn't speak for all the people of America. Paula Page doesn't represent exactly. all the people of Maine. Is that Although it? he did okay. win re-election, so. Yeah, he did, Jamie. In a three-candidate race, which was stupid, okay? I, I'm not, I'm not going to hold it against all the people of Maine. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he is, maybe maybe even outdoes Donald Trump when it comes to bashing the media, right? So, yeah. So, anyhow, he, like Chris Christie, also stupidly shut down the government over the 4th of July <laughs> yeah. weekend. Chris Christie's resolved it. I'm not sure whether they ever did resolve it in Maine, but anyway, any rate. They did, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah it's did they? Okay. But as part of that, he said he wasn't going to sign anything. His pen was taking a vacation. Uh, reporters thought he meant that he was going maybe out of the state to take a little vacation, whatever. Giving an interview yesterday with WGAN uh, saying the media just got it wrong again. It all started by saying my pen is on vacation. It has nothing to sign. That was how this started, and the press just ran, and they are so, so vile. Oh, yeah. Inaccurate. They're so vile. They're so vile. They're the enemy of the American people. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, so all they do is pull the page. Yeah, we got to get rid of newspapers. Get rid of them. I just love to sit in my office and make up ways to, so they'll write these stupid stories. I mean, they are <laughs> just so stupid. It's awful. I'm sorry, but... I tell you, the sooner the print press goes away, the better society will be. If if you're a voter in Maine and you hear your governor say that the yeah. best thing he has to do with his time mm -hmm. is sit on story. his ass yeah. and dream up ways mm -hmm. to bamboozle the press yeah, with fake right. stories, mm -hmm. 
if I was a voter in Maine, I'd be pretty pissed off that that's how my governor is spending his time. By the way, why don't you impeach the bastard? We should, but if you listen to the whole interview, you know these two yuckleheads on WGAN—they right? love him. Okay, yeah. so you know he's talking about the press going away. I get it; it's talk radio. It's not the exact same thing as a print reporter. Mm. But hey, buddies, you know what? The press yeah. going away means you, you idiots, go away too. Yeah. Yeah. Stop yokeling around with the governor. It's just so stupid. It's awful. I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah. No, if they're coming after the media, yeah, they're on the they're on the chopping block too. Full stop. Bulls. There we go. Yes, indeed. Um, climate change, just one of the. And they, you know, they say that Donald Trump has uh, no major accomplishments so far, but some major negative stuff, particularly when it comes to the environment. Emily Atkin, staff writer for the New Republic, is going to tell us all about it when we come back here on this special Friday edition of the Bill Press Show. <laughs> do, do you have any doubt? Or was there any objection from inside the intelligence community on that conclusion that Russia was behind these attacks? Absolutely none, and I don't have any doubt yet today. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's a Friday, July 7. It's The Bill Press Show. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. As we reach out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And join you coast to coast on YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On uh, Free Speech TV, out in the Chicago area on WCPT. Thank you for joining us. Again, coming to you from our nation's capital, where we're told today that Washington, D.C. is actually the capital of the resistance. One out of three people in Washington, D.C. has actually been out involved in a protest against Donald Trump. So I guess the closer you are to to the White House, uh, the more likely you are to participate we're coming to you live from Washington. We're brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the great members of the UFCW. They're the people you see and who um, keep all of the great grocery chains and grocery stores uh, of this country uh, alive, the people who stock the shelves, who uh, check out the food for you, who keep everything rolling. Uh, members of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. We salute them, uh, thank them for their great work and their support of the program. Check out their website at ufcw.org. Climate change is one of the big issues on the G20 summit uh, agenda in Hamburg, Germany. Um, maybe 19 out of 20 of the world leaders who are there are committed to doing something about climate change. Sadly, our president is not. Emily Atkin covers um, environmental issues for the New Republic, joins us in studio. Emily, it's nice to see you. Good morning. So um, Donald Trump, the outlier here, right? Sort of. I mean, definitely the outlier when it comes to the Paris Agreement, but probably not the outlier when it comes to maybe not wanting to do a ton on climate change. You mean some of the others are pulling back? Well, I mean... Part of the G2, two countries in the G20 are Russia and Saudi Arabia, yeah. which are petrostates. So I imagine, and there's been a little bit of reporting indicating that 
those countries, it, Trump's decision on Paris might embolden them to either not make a commitment at the G20 to Paris or uh, pull some mm-hmm. shenanigans within the agreement. Yeah. Now, there is the meme is sort of that oh, the Trump administration, I mean, he keeps claiming, you know, we've done accomplished more than anybody else and any other president in history and signed all, I've signed all these bills and I signed all these executive orders. But, you know, again, the meme is that that they really haven't done that much. Right. Signed no major legislation. The, the reality is he signed no major legislation. Hasn't built the wall, hasn't repealed Obamacare, hasn't done anything about tax reform. There's one area, on, uh, this this is my impression, I want to see if you agree, The one area, however, where they have been effective, and that is in undoing almost, well, a great deal of the environmental progress that was made under Barack Obama. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I keep telling people that. <laughs> I keep saying, yeah, you know. Yeah, and it's not, nobody's talking about it. It's I not know. getting any attention, right? Oh, Bill. I, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I mean, well, I will say that Scott Pruitt, the head of the EPA, he hasn't done, uh, so he's started the process of rolling back regulations, uh, about 30 Obama-era EPA rules and regulations and uh, directives and stuff like that. It doesn't mean that all of them are repealed. A lot of these really big actions, like he started the process of rolling back right. the Clean yeah. Power yeah. Plan, started the process of rolling back the Waters of the United States rule. Those are really complicated legal processes that have begun, but will take potentially the entirety of Scott Pruitt's term to do if he's going to be successful in doing it. And the other irony is that um, for a lot of these actions, he's going to need a robust and fully funded EPA to start rewriting some of these rules legally. So there's a little funny thing there. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, Pruitt at the EPA has been really well organized in uh, deciding what he wants to roll back and starting those legal processes. And Trump has, I wrote an article maybe a month ago saying that Trump has fulfilled or started the process of fulfilling almost all of his environmental campaign promises. He made eight really big ones and he's really gone uh, gung ho on those uh, eight 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 promises to, to undo right environmental regulations or environmental. Yeah, well, yeah. there were eight, and I can't even remember what all of them are at this moment. Um, I'm going to blame that on it being 7:30, right. um, <laughs> and not my actual brain. Um, but they they're all related to some of them were like you know uh, revitalize coal industry, repeal right. clean yeah. power plan, yeah. um, pull out of Paris climate agreement, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Okay. Well, but back so back to Scott Pruitt. I mean, he does seem to be, and again, there's a lot of talk about, you know, State Department. There are so many vacancies there. Tillerson can't get things done. You know, Mattis, a lot of vacancies in the Pentagon. You know, and people are double double timing and double jobbing and everything. But Pruitt seems to be among the cabinet members, the one who's got his mission. And he is going full steam ahead. And this right? has been—I think this has been his dream for years. I yeah, mean, he spent yeah. his career as the Oklahoma Attorney General suing the EPA, trying to get these rules either delayed or or and rolled now, back. Now he's in charge, right? Yeah, and he does—he's in charge. He—he he has he doesn't have a fully staffed EPA, but what he does have are um, members of his close inner circle that he appointed and that he brought in through uh, a lot of whom are aides of Senator Jim Inhofe, former aides of Senator Jim Inhofe, uh, who is one of the most outspoken. The biggest climate denier of all. 
right, I would say. Yeah, maybe. who has had a wish list for the EPA that he's been trying to make reality for years. And so I imagine with Pruitt at the helm and Hoff's people surrounding him, they have a pretty well thought out battle plan that they've been, you know, it's it's been their dream to do this for a long time. And aren't there certain departments of the EPA that they've either abolished or defunded or downgraded to the point they can't even operate? Well, I mean, just look at the, they had a whole Office of Environmental Justice at the EPA that I, I don't believe functions anymore. I mean, one of the big stories in the beginning of the administration was that um, the founder of the EPA's Environmental Justice Office resigned. He wrote a really long, eloquent letter urging Pruitt to consider uh, to consider vulnerable communities when he's when he's uh, crafting environmental policy, and he left, and that position hasn't been uh, that position hasn't been refilled, and I don't believe there are there's anybody working on environmental justice at EPA anymore. And if there are positions there, I I'd be surprised if they were doing actual EJ work. Considering, I mean, in the in conservative spaces, environmental justice isn't even a thing. Right. right. It's sort of like yeah. a, it's sort of like a lull, like environmental justice not is not real. I've had a lot of Twitter, weird Twitter fights about that. Right. Yeah. In terms of um, if, if there's one major accomplishment of the EPA uh, and the Obama administration, I think in uh, through EPA were the, were the new regulations regarding power plants, uh, coal fired power plants, uh, first existing plants and then on on new plants as well. Uh, have they been rolled back by executive order, and are we going to see new coal-fired power plants in the in this country? Um, they haven't been rolled back by executive order. There is a legal process that Pruitt is starting to undertake to to reverse them. To reverse right? them, and when he reverses them, and when he does do it, he will need to come up with a replacement regulation. Um, he's legally required to do that because super wonky 2009 endangerment finding. Uh, Supreme Court affirmed that we have a duty under the Clean Air Act to regulate carbon dioxide. Right. So he'll have to come up with some sort of replacement regulation. Right now, uh, coal plants, on oper- owners and operators of coal plants, uh, have a lot of regulatory uncertainty about what they should be doing uh, in terms of should they be limiting, are they required to limit the amount of carbon dioxide that they must emit uh, subject to the clean power plan, right? So mm-hmm. I think right now, a lot of uh, power plants are still <clears throat> operating on the assumption that they must comply. Uh, some are probably not. And I think in the short term, yeah, you're going to see more, at least uh, more confidence in the coal industry, but but only in the short term. Is it... <laughs> Well, isn't it the uh, I guess isn't it the market right natural gas particularly that's that's responsible for coal not being as popular or as uh, utilities turning to coal as much as they used to. Yeah, I mean, if you talk to uh, coal industry analysts, they will say that yeah, environmental regulations have played a part in the decline of in the decline in the decline of coal because it's having to pay for emissions reductions is really expensive, but Mostly, it's attributed to the rise of fracking and natural gas. Cheaper, cleaner, uh, you know, not the cleanest source in the world, but if it's cheaper and cleaner, that that means it's going to be more popular. So, right. yeah, most people will tell you that natural gas is why coal is dying more than environmental regulations. And that's not and that's not going to turn around, right? Un- unlikely. 
I, I would be really uh, surprised. Again, we're talking about the market, <laughs> not necessarily yeah. the environmental regulation. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, a cleaner... Not to mention the rise of solar and wind. I mean, I just, just a little tangent. I just came back from a week vacation up in southern Rhode Island on the beach. And you can look across and you can see Block Island from, from our house. And, uh, and on Block Island now, or off the coast of Block Island... You can see these big wind turbines. It's the first offshore wind farm on the East Coast. Uh, and there are big five of them, and they're operating all the time. You know, that's something brand new. And with that, and wind and solar uh, are finally, it's still a very small percentage of our total energy output, but it's growing. Well, and I think it's enough. If we did put all these sources on an equal playing field, I think you'd see even more of what you saw in Rhode Island, right? That, I think a lot a lot of times when we're talking about this, we miss the fact that the U.S. and and all these other G20 countries give a lot of public dollars through subsidies and tax breaks to the fossil fuel industry that they yeah. do not give to clean energy industries. We did at one time under Jimmy <laughs> right. Carter. Ronald Reagan abolished them. Right. And even on the campaign trail, um, most Republicans who are running for president, not all of them, but some would say, like, you know, uh, we're not going to pick winners and losers. We're not going to give subsidies to any uh, energy energy source. And I think if you did that, you would see probably more natural gas. And then I think um, you would see probably uh, more clean energy sources. But we're propping up fossil fuels more than we're propping up. Always uh, have. Always yeah. have. Right. And it's actually, we're talking about the G20. I don't know if you saw that report that just came out saying that the G20 countries are still <laughs> giving it combined, uh, like, maybe it was $88 billion a year in subsidies to the fossil fuel industry, while they only give, like, $13 billion to the renewable energy industry. And that's despite a 2009 pledge to <clears throat> phase out fossil fuel subsidies completely. So. I think one of the things that, like, I keep hearing from people who, you know, care about this stuff is... With every move that he makes, how undoable is it, right? Because it seems like everything that Trump has done has been a knee-jerk reaction of, well, Obama did this, so I need to undo it. And so there were a couple of things that Obama sort of put into place that's like make it really, really hard to undo. I don't know that Trump necessarily has that foresight. You know what I mean? So, like, I think the only thing that a lot of people are clinging on to at this point is we watch this stuff get worse and worse and worse. Is just like, okay, all right, well, all we got to do is just get somebody in there that knows what they're talking about, and then we can sort of, like, stop this or reverse it or fix it. How realistic is that? I mean, I think, like I said before, I think that Pruitt, because it's not Trump rolling back Obama's sure, environmental right, legacy, right? right? He just appointed a dude who, like I said before, knows exactly how to do this. Yeah. When Trump said, can we just undo all this stuff? And Scott Pruitt was like, I got this. Yes, sir. Don't worry about it. I got it. it from here. You don't even need to consult with me. I'll just do it, you know? <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> God. Um, but like I said, I think he's when it comes to halting or rolling back final regulations, that's not easy. And, so, and there are a lot of uh, moneyed attorneys who work for big environmental groups who are going to work their tushes off yeah. to make sure that doesn't happen and they're going to lose sometimes and but they will win in some cases so uh, to get away to from EPA seen. for just no, 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 we could spend the entire <laughs> an entire hour or more on on just on on EPA but but uh, Pruitt's a guy to watch I mean he knows what you're right he's knows what he's doing he's got a team around him and he is going full bore 
and trying to do it, I think, under the radar and just gut, 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 gut as much as he can. Uh, and, um, you know, hopefully before long there'll be a new administration, a new approach, get back on track. But uh, it's going to take some time to undo the damage that they've, that they've, that they've done. Um, meanwhile, over at Interior, um, not everything is rosy either. I mean, um, uh, the Interior Secretary, it, I want to ask you about what's happening with, because I hear about, a lot about this, what's happening with national parks and national monuments, right? I mean, the idea that even not even our national parks would be spared <laughs> sounds unbelievable, but that's happening, right? Yeah, well, there's a lot of fear that uh, what Zinke... Brian Zinke is going to do is push privatization of, of public lands. Um, but I think more what what we're seeing actually happening right now, like there's a lot of concern about privatization. Yeah, and wasn't he supposed off. to be the guy that he got the job because he's for preserving right? Well, I don't think we've actually lands. I don't think we've actually seen that much actual you know movement of selling off lands. What we have seen is movement of opening up federal public lands to leasing for fossil fuel energy companies. Yeah, that's what right. we're that's that's a tangible thing that has happened. Um yeah. when I when I talked earlier We're not gonna sell the Grand Canyon. We'll just let them build a dam in the middle of it, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Just put a rig inside of it. Yeah, exactly. You know? Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yellowstone nat- will still be there. It's just gonna have these little things that are popping up and down, right? Sucking yeah. oil out of it while <laughs> Yeah. Uh, are there natural gas reserves under Yellowstone? I probably no, no, I'm just making that up, obviously. But and this big ears, isn't it? What the name of the national monument, the new one that they're saying? No, maybe this is too big. We got to yeah. That one's it. a really that's a really complicated, controversial question about about uh, barriers. Barriers, sorry. Uh, yeah, big ears. Big ears. <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking of Obama. Yeah, um, Obama. Obama. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, forgive me if I am, because I, I haven't covered this area too much. But I believe that Obama made that designation as federal land right before he left the presidency. Yeah, and he it did. Was, it was right. a really controversial uh, designation, and then now they're uh, ordering a review of this. Yeah, of this yeah. land um, and potentially going to scale it back, which would be, I think, but, a, a pretty unprecedented. But it's not the only one that they're looking at. I no, mean, the, they're reviewing I think a Trump, lot. Uh, Trump signed an executive order ordering a review of all these national monuments and national parks. And do we need that many? And should we get rid of a few? <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's crazy. It's, I'll say that in four years of covering the environment, nothing gets people riled up like the idea that you're taken away national parks, public lands, stuff like that. I've never seen so many people get riled up about it. So, I mean, just launching the review is one thing. When they complete that review, if and when they decide that they're going to actually uh, undo some of these public lands protections, I think I think you might see uh, an unexpected amount it's of like, public outcry. It's like one of the greatest things we have, our yeah. public lands and our national parks. But that is one of the things that set, set us apart from other countries when we were becoming a country right is we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to natural beauty and so we have fought very hard to protect it and lots of presidents have gone the extra mile to make sure that it's taken care of and proper resources and now all of a sudden we might be drilling for oil or building dams in the grand canyon i mean and let's be clear we have always drilled for oil yeah and um mined coal and leased federal 
plans for fossil fuel exploration. We've always done that, and Obama did that too. It's mm-hmm. not like it's not like Obama was like, no more drilling on yeah. public lands. We right. had that. It's just there was longer review process, um, and there was no he banned new coal leasing on federal lands. Um, but I mean, Wyoming has been full of public lands with coal on it for ever. Um, another area that got a little bit of attention, particularly here in the Washington, D.C. area, is I, I'm pretty sure it was either part of what EPA is doing or part of what Trump signed, uh, is the attempts to clean up major bodies of water like uh, Chesapeake Bay here, for sure. I think Puget Sound was another one of them. Um, the Great Lakes project there as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Trump budget cuts uh, one of the most popular by bipar- would cut because uh, yeah. I don't think it's actually going to happen. Let's be honest. Um, would cut one of the most popular EPA programs to clean up the, gr- the Great Lakes that has already, I guess, mm-hmm. that even Republican leaders have said ha- has already provided so much economic benefit to the Great Lakes region. And here with the Chesapeake Bay as well. Oh, in yeah. In terms of tourism oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and fishing and crabbing and the whole thing. There's yeah. so much happening on this that sometimes I forget that I'm like, oh, yeah, the Trump budget does cut the Chesapeake Bay program. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's across the board. I mean, I almost know. any so positive. to keep up with. Any, right. Um, any any anything that was going in the right direction, for, from my point of view, at any rate, in terms of protecting the environment uh, and our public lands, is really um, at risk uh, right now under the Trump administration. And and what you have, I think, correctly identified as an ongoing war on science. Right? There's a war on the media. There's also a war on science. Right? Yeah, and the war on science is part of the war to shape public opinion uh, to get people on board with what the Trump administration is doing. The, and this is what I wrote about, I think, last week or earlier or earlier this week. I can't even keep up with my own work anymore. Days become weeks, become yeah. months <laughs> in the Trump era. What Just, year is it? That's seriously. Um, is that the, the reason why you see replacements of scientists on advisory boards and you see trying to ref, reform uh, scientific integrity policies is because – Eventually, Pruitt and Trump will want to say what we are doing is backed up by yeah, the best available right. science. You know, we don't need to be they, they want to be able to credibly say we don't need to be regulating this much carbon dioxide because it's not really a problem or like this Superfund cleanup plan is adequate because look what our scientists say. Yeah, um, that's necessary. If you're going to do a bunch of things that actually aren't great for the environment, it's good if you have a way to say that it is actually good. So you get some bogus scientists on some of these boards, you know, who will, you can point to and say, look at this. And I don't even, it's like, I I feel weird calling these, calling what I assume Trump and Pruitt want as bogus scientists, but they want industry representation on boards, right? And then they want to appoint controversial scientists to be the science advisor. If you looked at who were the two biggest candidates to be Trump science advisor, two people with totally out of the mainstream views on climate change. So it's not even that they're bogus. It's just that they're totally out of the mainstream, which is uh, not a, just not an accurate representation of what large bodies of scientific work say. Um I think and, bogus is a good word, but that's yeah. right. We could disagree on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, or you have my permission to to, uh, to use it, too. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, we, we just have about a minute left, but I was struck by the, this article you wrote about endangered tigers. Oh, <laughs> cool. Uh, sum it up for us. You know. 
30 seconds. Uh, 30 seconds. There was a circus. It was called the Ringling Brothers. Yeah, what happened to <laughs> oh, the yeah. animals? Yeah, well, they closed and everyone thought that the big tiger, all the endangered species were going to maybe potentially go to a sanctuary. Uh-oh. Um, but uh, the circus is seeking an export permit under the Endangered Species Act to take all the endangered tigers and ship them to another circus in Germany. Um, and so I wrote that piece not only because I'm, I'm like, look oh. what's happening to these tigers. I mean, they're staying with their trainer. It was, it's yeah, it's the, the trainer that uh, bred them since they were born, um, and has and has bred like eight generations of endangered tigers. But we just have this we have this weird loophole under the Endangered Species Act that allows wow, wow. that allows that. the export of endangered species as long as you donate to conservation organizations. So, so they could just they're, they're still going to be in a, performing in a circus then, right? They don't get a break at all. Most likely, yeah. Right. Wow. No, I thought, I thought like you, they'd be going to some sanctuary somewhere and then roam free for the rest of their lives. Oh, it'll be Ringling Brothers German edition or something. Yeah. Emily, you do great work. Thank you so much for coming in. You can follow Emily at newrepublic.com. Ethics Chief is resigning. We'll get into that next. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. What do you say? We're on the air. It's a Friday. <laughs> Sleep at the switch there. You know, time. <laughs> you need a little time out in between, in between hours. Uh, hello, everybody. It is Friday, July 7, and this is the Bill Press Show, and that's me. Great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Donald Trump going to Europe, taking a trip to Europe so he can bash America, bash CNN, bash NBC, bash all of us once again. Yes, indeed. Why didn't he just stay home and do that? Because he does it every day anyhow. Uh, And we know now what everybody at the G20 summit is talking about. (laughs) Donald Trump told us this morning. They're all talking about John Podesta. Can you believe it? The leaders of the 20 most powerful nations on the planet. I was talking about the risotto recipe. <laughs> John, <laughs> yes, John Podesta's risotto recipe. Oh, my God. At any rate, such as the news is today, we will bring it to you um, from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., where one of the biggest uh, bits of news and a little shocker yesterday is the resignation of the head of the One Ethics Office as part of the federal government. What does that all mean? Adam Smith, director of Every Voice, is here uh, to tell us all about it. Adam, it's good to see you again. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Lots to talk about. And we'll get right to all of that, plus your comments on the news of the day. You know how to do it. Go to on, go on Twitter. It's not just Donald Trump who gets to use Twitter. So do you. At <laughs> BP Show. Send us your comments. But first... 
This is the Full Court Press. In just a couple of hours, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin will sit down for their meeting. Oh, my God. That's not the only Putin news we have today. I do Uh have another Putin story. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Because he has an inauguration ceremony coming up in 2018, and he has a new limousine. I'm going to tell you all about the limousine. Is it called the Beast? It's not called the Beast. It's actually called the Cortege. Right? But here's what it has. Uh, an armored capsule, communication systems, multimedia systems, protection devices to exclude uh, wiretapping and interception of communications. <clears throat> mm-hmm. There's an evacuation system, radio electronic defense, as well as all sorts of special features. Uh, it will not, the tires will not burst. They are unpoppable tires, the tires you could run on even after they, hmm. if someone shoots it with a bullet, right? It's fine. And if you do, for whatever reason, lose your tires, you can still drive on the discs without the tires. So, is, is the evacuation system like a parachute out of it? That's what I want to ask about. I would love to know if it's just an ejection seat. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. I don't have the answer to that. I'm sorry. I think it's like a little capsule, right? You push a button and it it, it pops up and yeah. then flies. Yeah, it's like sort of like space balls where they come out at the end of the movie, <laughs> and they get shot out in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> This is a, an end of an era. I guess it could be bad, could be good, depending on uh, who you are. But in Los Angeles, a place that was known at one time for their porn theaters, there are two porn theaters left. now. I, in all of L.A.? In all of L.A. That article is great, by the way. You should no, it's read really it. fantastic. And they're saying, like, essentially, I mean, in the age of the Internet, who needs to go out into public to go watch porn anymore? And especially, like, you know, laptops or phones and iPads and all that stuff. So, like, no, can you get porn on a laptop? Bill, we got to talk, buddy. <laughs> Bill, we got to talk. <laughs> oh, God. But, I, like, you know, back in the old days before the internet, we used watch- to have to walk uphill in the snow both ways to go watch our porn in a yeah. movie theater. People just don't know how to talk to each other anymore. It's true. <laughs> this is just don't the death of modern civility. <laughs> don't tell me people watch porn on computers. <laughs> I know, right? No. But it's killing oh, the porn theater industry. Mm. So there's two left. Two left in all of Los Angeles. So, you know, if you want to go check them out, I guess you can do that. I want to tell you, uh, I lived there for like nine years. Uh, there were more at that time. I believe that. <laughs> I believe this that. This has been I've a be- public service announcement. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told that. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, Good morning, creeps. Listen, let me tell you, I lived in Hollywood. <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. On a Friday, July 7, what do you say? Great to see you. It's The Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Kind of quiet. House is out. The Senate is out. Donald Trump is out of the country. But, of course, he goes to Europe to bash America. Uh, That's what he did in Warsaw yesterday. Probably do more of the same uh, today at the G20 Summit in Hamburg, Germany. We're coming to you live, but from the sleepy Washington today, uh, reaching out to you coast to coast on uh, as part of the Young Turks Network on several different platforms. On YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Of course, on Free Speech TV out in the Chicago area on WCPT. And again, we invite you to... 
Check out our podcast. More and more people do every day. Uh, and you can, so if you can't hear everything uh, that we uh, talk about in the morning, you can catch it any other time during the day. Just go to BillPressShow.com. That's the best way to pick up the podcast. All two hours there for you uh, every day, all day. Adam Smith joining us again from Every Voice uh, in studio with us. And Adam, um, there was sort of in this last six months, one voice out there saying, yeah. no, Mr. Trump, you really can't do that. No, Trump family, you really can't, you know, be pocketing all this money uh, just because uh, your daddy happens to be president. The one voice was <coughs> Walter Schaub, head of the Office of Government Ethics, and he announced yesterday he is resigning. Why? Yeah, well, you know, he is on a term, so his term was going to be up next year anyway. So he was going to And he probably would not have been reappointed. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> but um so uh, he, you know, he said in interviews that he feels like he's done all he can do um with this administration and that he is now going to go work on the outside to try to strengthen ethics laws both at the federal level and at the state and local level. So, um so, yeah, so now this sets up this situation where the Trump administration gets to appoint a new head of the Office of Government Ethics, and that appointment is then has to be sent and approved, thank goodness. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting to see who they pick over the next couple months. Right. So tell, me, tell us about this office. I don't know that much about sure. this office. I mean, where is it located? Sure. So um, it's an independent agency. Um, federal agency. Is it and part of the Department of Justice or Treasury? Or? It is a, just an independent ethic executive branch agency. Okay. Um, but he's not a cabinet member. No, he's not. No. Yeah. And the reason you hadn't heard about this before is because people usually follow the rules. Uh, you know, oh. uh, oh. uh, Schaub oh. has worked worked for George under George W. Bush's administration. He worked for Obama administration. And usually because of history and tradition and belief in good governments, good governance, uh, compliance with ethics, ethics rules was never an issue. It only became an issue in this administration. And Schaub just he's such a model public servant that he wasn't willing to back down to political pressure. And since the beginning, when Trump said, I'm not going to divest um, from my businesses, Schaub has been out front saying that's not good enough. And mm -hmm. um, so the agency, what the agency basically does is just ensure ethics employee compliance. I mean, uh, executive branch employee compliance with ethics. So uh, making sure that when cabinet officials get appointed, um, they uh, get rid of any conflicts by divesting or other things. Um, they There are actually ethics officials in every uh, agency in the government and sort of work across the agency to make sure that um, the, those uh, employees are helping their employees co comply with ethics rules. So the OGE, can we call it that? I yeah, mean, absolutely. Every, yeah. Every, everything in Washington has yeah. an alphabet, right? Uh, so they have kind of representatives in every one of the... There there are ethics, uh, ethics employees in every single federal agency, yes. Yeah, right. Now, and I remember... Um, in addition, it's it's not just focused on the White House, right? I mean, they they do like um, they vet appointees. Too, yes, absolutely. They? Yeah, and that's actually uh, where you saw where they also came the, got some attention earlier in the administration, mm -hmm. like January, right. February, because the Trump's appointees were so wealthy um, that it took forever to get the get the ethics office and those appointees to come to an agreement on how they would divest. I mean, Trump's cabinet had to divest a combined $1 billion in assets uh, to serve the administration. So it just took a lot of time. Right. 
You know, it's, I, I say this every time that you come in, but we are now finding out every day more and more that, like, so much of what happens with the presidency and what governs what the president can and cannot do has been based purely on tradition. Yep. Absolutely. And so, like, this is just a good reminder that, like, somebody has got to keep check of the president yeah. and their activities, especially financial. Yeah. You. Yes. Uh, very good point. You know, the thing is, and and when people have broken the rules, you know, uh, Kellyanne Conway violated ethics rules when she sat in the White House briefing room and said people should go buy Ivanka Trump stuff. And the OGE said... She broke the rules. She needs to be punished. And the White House said, "Nah, we're not going to do it." Uh, the one of the one of the problems with the OGE and something that should be modernized is that they have no. It's not an enforcement agency. Mm-hmm. They can't uh, uh, file penalties or anything. Yeah, they can just say this is a violation of the of, of the rules, and you should do this about it, and hope that the people at the agencies say, "Yeah, that's let's let's find this person, let's suspend them, let's do something." Right now. Uh, when when it comes to the president himself, I mean, uh, Walter Schaub has raised, as you said, he, he told him, said he should divest. Yeah. Right? Uh, and they've also raised the issue we've talked with you about, haven't they, about um, financial conflicts related to the president's hotels and yeah. businesses. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, you know, when Trump back in January put out that, did that big press conference saying, I'm going to isolate myself from his, my business, but didn't right. actually isolate himself from his business. Schaub said, this isn't good enough. You need to go further. But again, there's nothing he can do other than say those things. You can't force uh, the administration to act. So within the last uh, couple of weeks, the RNC had the first big fundraiser. Yeah. For 2020, uh, to raise money for reelecting Donald Trump, and where? No, let me see. There are a lot of possible places you could hold that in the Washington D.C. area, right? Mm-hmm. Out of, over you know, people have been holding fundraisers in the city for years. Years, yeah, right. Yeah, the Hilton, the the big Hilton, the downtown Hilton, the new Gaylord thing yeah. over at National Harbor. I mean, lots of possibilities. Yeah. Where did they hold it? They held it at Trump's hotel. Oh, my God. Shock. Yeah, shocker, right? It's just so blatant, right? It's just yeah. a blatant disregard for um, ethical government governance and, like, conflicts. So Donald Trump uh, succeeded in raising money for his reelection campaign and lining his own pockets at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I was – so I was there. Um, we, what? Outside the – I wasn't – I can't afford $35,000 ticket. Prices, um, yeah. So, we, uh, every voice, my organization, public citizen, marriage and tax reform, working families, we all organized this protest outside of Trump's hotel. Cool. Um, there's like 75 people, and what was interesting to me, we had a couple speakers talk about um, like the healthcare bill because you think about it, here he is profiting off the presidency, people paying $35,000 a pop, while their tr- Trump and Senate Republicans are trying to take healthcare from 22 million people. It's just really crazy to me to, to be that out of touch. And this woman, her name was, um, her name was, uh, let me get it right, Andrea. She has muscular dystrophy, so she's in a wheelchair. She was talking about her care through Medicaid cost $30,000 a year. That was less than the cost of one ticket to this fundraiser. Oh, and you hear stories that like is that. You, yeah, so hearing her say this, like right outside Trump hotel, Trump's hotel, has really, really brought it home to me how out of touch these politicians are and how sort of corrupt the system is. Though I will say the the best 
one of the best parts of the protest was we actually, the motorcade drove right by us. We were at the entrance. And so we all just started yelling, shame, 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 <laughs> like game, that Game of Thrones woman um, as he went by. And that felt uh, really good. That, that, yeah, no, that, yeah. That always feels good to stand outside of his hotel and yeah. tell him what you think about him. Yeah. So in the next couple of weeks, you should see how much uh, the RNC and the Trump campaign spent at Trump's hotel because uh, second quarter filings and June filings are due in the next few weeks. You know, I mean, like, but it is one of also. One of the most expensive places in town. Yeah, yeah. I've been told to just even have a drink or have a cup no, of coffee. Dude, the drinks there cost like twenty four dollars. Yeah. for a mixed drink, which is which, like by all accounts, are mediocre. Yeah. Like not bad, but not certainly not good enough to pay twenty four dollars for a cocktail. And yeah. you know that the RNC paid full price. They didn't get any. I'm sure they did. Well, they, they couldn't. They, they would have yeah. to pay full price. But yeah. They, they wouldn't be allowed to get But you know what highlights the, the whole grift of this whole thing? We oh, didn't yeah. mention this earlier. Is, is like, so Donald Trump went to Germany for this G20 thing, and his staff didn't get him a hotel room. So he's staying in a guest house somewhere. Because there's not a Trump hotel in Germany, right? Yeah. Or in, in Hamburg. Yeah. So, like... All it is for him is go to the hotel, rack up a bill, put money right back into the yeah. Trump's pocket. Exactly. It's not just these fundraisers. You know, you see all these stories about anybody who is like working in Trump administration goes there. You know, uh, Scott Pruitt, the head of the EPA, when he was meeting with oil executives um, recently, they did it at the Trump Hotel. You know, when lobbyists come, they do. They know what they're doing. They know that Trump will see that they are there, and they can say, "Oh, I just had a drink at your hotel," and curry that influence with him. And it's really gross. Yeah, you know. And if you wanted to, that I'm sure you you went if you could get the records, and and maybe your organization should or we should from the Trump Hotel. Their bookings, right? Yeah. Like for the next two or three years, you know. That that con- uh, conference rooms, uh, meeting rooms, and everything, uh, there are th- they're booked solid. Yep. I bet, and every industry organization in town. Yeah, definitely. Trade associations the are having trade meetings associ- there. The dentist, probably the yeah. veterinarians, everybody. Yeah, yeah the yeah. only records we should get in some form are the foreign payments. They have promised that all foreign payments to the, from foreign governments Trump Hotel would be donated to the U.S. Treasury. Well, but foreign but, diplomats are staying. There yeah, for absolutely. The same but we're reason. not going to right. They've already sort of hedging on that and saying, well, we can't separate it all. We can't blah blah blah. So we're not actually going to see all that. We might see a little bit of it. Right. So Walter Schaub steps yeah. down. So. Um, we could expect that they're going to – Trump will appoint somebody who has his own view of ethics, right? I mean – Yeah, absolutely. Meaning, I mean uh, anything the president does – if the president – what was it Nixon said? How did he the, put it? If the, if the, if the president, president does it, does it it's, it's not illegal. It's not yeah. illegal? Yeah. 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 Just right. like when Trump said the president can't have a conflict. The similarities yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, he could – Pick someone, a career ethics officer that's currently at the OGE, maybe Shab's deputy or somebody like that, and appoint that person. Or he could go another route um, and pick a friend of his, a, a lawyer for the Trump organization, uh, you know, a Republican election attorney, you know, and uh, he shouldn't. Uh, he should pick somebody like Shab. He needs to pick somebody that is as committed to honest ethical government as Shab is. And the Senate should not approve anyone unless that it's someone like Schaub. Um Chuck Schumer already put a, a very strong statement about that, saying that they expect someone um, committed to doing the job. You know, I, I don't have high hopes for it, but uh, I really hope that whoever it is appointed, the Senate does its thorough due diligence in the confirmation process. Right. Now, absent, or maybe, as you point out, because they're not an enforcement agency, um, 
the only hope really for some resolution of this whole ethical conflict is in the courts, isn't it? Still? Yeah, I mean, you have you have the lawsuits, you have the emoluments lawsuits um, on the foreign emoluments, which is the payments from foreign governments, as well as the domestic emoluments, uh, and we'll see what happens there. But yeah, uh, you maybe Congress, congressional Republicans will get a spine and start doing actual oversight of these conflicts and the problems, but. Um, there's not a whole lot that can be done right now uh, if if the administration has no commitment to actually addressing its ethical issues. Right. So do you do have um, the Office of Government Ethics. You also have Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in yep. Washington or crew. Yep. Um, you know, every voice. Yeah. I mean, you, you, yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is, so we. ACLU's been yeah. involved in these issues. As, Groups like Crew as and American well. Oversight are filing lawsuits, they're filing FOIAs, they're doing all the right thing to get as much information as we can and to hold them as accountable. And those lawsuits are moving forward. Yeah. Yes. You know, the courts are slow. So some of these things will take time. Uh, and, you know, and we're just going to keep highlighting, you know, not just that he's violating the. Uh, ethics rules that he's doing so while trying to pass policies that hurt everyday people and um, hope that as time goes along that more people will agree with us and see uh, see the problems and realize why um, he's bad for democracy. Are any of these lawsuits, um, so the lawsuits, there's the emoluments clause law, yep. and then there's the financial conflict too. Are, are, no, are they all one and the same? So, um, no, so there are a couple emoluments clause lawsuits, which is the the those lawsuits, the one saying that he's violating the foreign bribery clause constitution, which prevents the president from taking payments from for, payments or gifts from foreign governments. Um, there are a couple of the, there's like four of those lawsuits right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the one filed by members of Congress. That's right. That's, yeah, that's oh, yeah. the domestic. That's. Um, that's also the foreign bribery cause one um, that says Congress has the right to uh, to approve foreign emoluments. Right. So it should go to That's Congress right. to say, yeah. yes, you can accept this. Right. The difference between the ones the members of Congress are doing and the ones that like crew is doing is uh, the crew one also mentions the domestic emoluments, which basically says that uh, a government official can't accept payments from um, other than his salary. So, and that is related to Trump's ownership or lease of the DC hotel, which is actually owned by the federal government. Yeah. And then there are the lawsuits filed by state of Maryland, state of Virginia. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and district of Columbia, I believe. Yes. Yes. And those, again, those are about saying that, you know, because people are choosing Trump's D.C. hotel instead of state-owned properties like the, Wa- the Walter Washington Convention Center, they are actually hurting um, hurting the state and, and taking away taxpayer money or uh, taxes. And that is the one that some experts believe has the best chance, has the strongest standing. Um, it's this co-equal sovereigns thing. It's a state government versus a federal government. And um, so we'll see what happens. We have a Hopefully that will go forward. And the real thing with all of these is... Um, we want them to go forward, and I hope they the, these cases win. But uh, if they even get to discovery, um, yeah. the discovery freeze, that means people will get to see Donald Trump's tax returns, and uh, that will be a big that, thing. Right. That's exactly where I was going, right, that uh, his tax returns, and also we might find out um, to what extent he has business ties in Russia, even though he denies that he's ever had any. We know yeah. he does. Right? Well, yeah, and that even— How the, much the, money he owes to the Russian banks. That's and, right. What was that that phrase when that the that law firm said, we have looked at his tax returns, and with few exceptions, he has no ties to Russia? I was like, yeah. what does that mean, few exceptions? <laughs> right. 
Well, maybe we'll find out through yeah, these things. Exactly. But and and all of these lawsuits are related to his financial conflicts of interest. Absolutely right. Yeah, he uh, went against history and every bipartisan advice from ethics experts and said, "I'm going to maintain ownership of my company." And he has opened himself up to these challenges. And honestly, put the entire administration under this cloud of corruption because every decision they make, um, you have to wonder if it's because of his business. You know, when they wanted to get rid of, there's this wa- uh, Waters of the U.S. rule, um, the, it's a clean water rule, and now the administration's rolling it back. That benefits golf courses. His golf courses don't like that rule because it, it like reduces their water features or something. You know, and the the Muslim ban, um, the majority Muslim countries that were left off of it are places where his company company has hotel has yeah, hotels sure, right and so you ha- it puts this just cloud of corruption of the administration and i think it's fair to ask over every decision is this because it benefits his businesses one uh, particular example there is, is this in this latest flap between um some of the arab states and Qatar. yeah uh the new york times pointed out that uh, saudi arabia the president has many 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 long-standing business ties with saudi princes uh, the UAE, he's got a great big golf course in the yep. UAE. The one country where he's not been able to make a business deal is Qatar. Yep. And so when Saudi Arabia and Qatar get in a pissing contest, of course, uh, Donald Trump signs with where he's got his property. Yeah, it's one of those things where, the, you know, we talk about Trump profiting off the presidency, but it's also a national security issue. Of course right? it this is. is. This is about, uh, you know, when our foreign policy is dictated by the president's profits, it, it hurts all of us. It hurts our standing in the world, and it uh, messes with our national security. Did um, One thing that is related mm-hmm. um, to this, um, uh, we, we saw today that with Betsy DeVos, have you – Kept up with that? Uh, a little bit, yeah. yeah. So she, she 18 sued, yeah. states have sued Betsy DeVos for? For uh, basically... Uh, Be- uh, education secretary, yeah. by the way. Yeah, right? they, yeah. she rescinded... So uh, for-profit colleges were screwing over students. And so they, the, administra- the last administration put these rules that would allow them to get back some of the money... Uh, or they would forgive their loans or something like that. And this administration comes in and said, nah, we actually aren't going to let you forgive your loans to this school that, these schools that screwed you over. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like, here is a billionaire, yeah. right, who's saying, I'm sorry, you shouldn't get that money back for being defrauded. It's crazy to me. And there are some ties between, um, you know, for a while there was this for-profit lobbyist in the, who was in the transition team of the, administ- the education department who was like working on some of these rules. So there are some real questions about um, for-profit colleges' influence in the administration. They also have been donors to Republicans for years, too. God. This is, it's, I mean, like... Happy Friday, everyone! Yeah, 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 exactly. You look at the Trump University stuff, and it feels like he's got kind of an axe to grind here. Yeah. It's a weird thing to, like, focus, to, like... I want to give for-profit colleges like a free ride. It's so strange to what me. What is he doing? Yeah, well, I think it's DeVos too. She sure, sure, sure. You know, it's I think it's part and parcel of her sort of privatization. So billionaire, all these billionaires support the privatization of public schools, and I think this is just part of that agenda. Right. Yeah. But you know, it, it it's it's part of the Trump play. In, uh, the last half hour, uh, we were talking with Emily Atkin from New Republic about the fact that. Um, in, in the case of Donald Trump, he put at EPA a zealot who yep. has spent his entire career 
attacking the EPA, undermining the EPA, suing the EPA, and now he's in a position to carry his agenda forward. Yeah. It's the same case, same with the Department of Education. This is a zealot, a woman whose entire public career has been undermining public schools, yep. public education, uh, trying to take money away from them, put money into religious schools and into charter schools, and for uh, undermining yeah. higher education <coughs> by these by supporting for-profit colleges, which have a horrific record, first of all, of not providing a good education, right. but also ripping off students, yeah. screwing students. And now she's <coughs> standing up for them, 18, 18 states led by the... Uh, uh, Mass- uh, by Massachusetts have filed suit against her uh, uh, yesterday here for delaying those yeah. regulations. It's just part of this corporate takeover of the federal government that the Trump administration is allowing, whether it's uh, putting lots of lobbyists in the administration who had previously worked on issues they're now, like lobbying on issues they're now working for, um, you know, putting like industry acolytes like Scott Pruitt. They just are handing over government to corporate interests and letting them do what they want. Yeah. Um, does the Office of Government Ethics, uh, back to Watershaw, yeah. does, does, it, does it have any jurisdiction or influence over members of Congress? No. The Office of Government so Ethics is all about executive federal branch, agencies. Huh? Yes, absolutely. You know, the those things would be, for Congress, it's, you know, the Office of Congressional Ethics as well as the, the House and Senate um, Ethics Committees. And that, that was that, that, then my question is, how are they doing? We don't hear as... We don't hear as much yeah. about ethics investigations in this Congress, and you know damn well it does, it's not because all of them were Boy Scouts. Yes, that's or Girl I mean Scouts. that's the very reason earlier this year that Republicans tried House Republicans tried to gut the Office of Congressional Ethics. That's is because right. oh yeah, that was um, a great move. Wasn't that's it? the agency. It lasted less than yeah. twenty four hours, as I recall. Yes, that's the office that actually does work. That's the one that says we that what it'll do is it'll say they'll do an investigation, um, and then they'll say to like the House Ethics Committee, we believe this as F- investigation deserves further. Um, investigation, or they'll say they'll say to the DOJ, "We believe you should look into this," um, because they're an independent agency, mm-hmm. uh, and so they exist and they're doing good work. But it is up to the the standing committees to actually move forward, and they don't have a history of doing that unless it becomes a big circus. Right? Uh, yeah, and their their tendency is, I mean, their sort of mo is, um, they they may be. People file a complaint. They yeah. take the complaint. They study it forever. Then you yeah. never hear about it again. Yeah, right? the the OGE will provide quarterly updates on its investigations, um, but that's a lot that you hear about. Of course, then there's also the other agency, which is the FEC, uh, which is currently down a member. Um, but so it's like a has three three and two now. It has five people now instead of six. So I don't expect a lot coming from there either. The Federal Elections Commission. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are they doing? Right, and they're not going to do anything as long as they only have five members either. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't recall. The, I, I can't recall the last time I heard. They do stuff. It just takes a while. Um, and usually at gridlocks when they do have decisions, um, the the th- it's a it's basically you have to have you can't have if it's like basically three Democrats and three Republicans, usually or one independent who goes one way or the other. And they usually just deadlock. Um, the Republicans don't believe the, on the committee, don't believe the agency should actually hold people accountable. So uh, the one question I have uh, wrapping up, uh, yeah. which I'm sure is uh, that all of our uh, listeners and viewers have as well, 
is have you uh, yet put in your resume as the new head of the Office oh, man. of Government you know, Ethics? I, I am not <laughs> a lawyer. I just you. pretend to know about how laws work. <laughs> so um, uh, I listen. I'm here for it. Let me, let me in there. But I think there are people who are much better. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of really great people who could do this job and do it well. And I think the Trump administration could signal that, okay, we get it, and appoint a good person. I just am not confident that they will. All right. Well, if you if you throw your name in the hat, we'll we'll, we'll drum up some support for you. Draft Adam for OGE. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag right. That's right. All right. Thanks, Adam. Great to yeah, see you. Every you. voice is the organization. Adam's organization is everyvoice.org. So the latest on uh, Mr. Trump in uh, Europe from Alexi McCammon, deputy editor of Axios, joining us next. America should have the right to know what the motivations of its leaders are and they need to know that financial interests personal financial interests aren't among them download our podcast search for the bill press show on itunes and remember to rate review and subscribe this is the bill press show Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Friday, July 7. How about it? Into the weekend. Not quite yet. Another half an hour here of the Bill Press Show. So it's good to have you with us. Part of the Young Turks Network. We are on Free Speech TV on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And on the great WCPT out in Chicago land. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital. Um, okay, Trump's out of town. The House is out of town. The Senate's out of town. But damn it, we're here uh, for you, bringing you up to date on the news of the day and brought to you today by Amalgamated Bank. Yes, um, you want a bank with progressive values? You've got it with Amalgamated for almost a century now. They've been the bank of choice for progressive organizations and individuals nationwide. You too can bank at Amalgamated, be a proud progressive at the same time by going to AmalgamatedBank.com. Donald Trump uh, leaving Warsaw after a big speech there yesterday, warmly received, where he gave the message uh, sounding like um, Pat Buchanan himself uh, and reminded me of uh, many debates I had with Pat Buchanan on Crossfire and on MSNBC when um, Donald Trump yesterday saying that Western civilization is imperiled. Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? Do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? Alexa McCammon covering uh, all things Trump for Axios, joining us in studio. Hi, Lexi. Happy Friday. Hi, happy Friday. Nice to see you. Always a pleasure. So it's a pretty somber, sober message there for Donald Trump. Uh, That's his move. You'll remember his inauguration speech was that way. But yes. Um, carnage. Right, right. American carnage. Um and it was an interesting strategy because it's it's he's striking this balance of his America first policies, but also reassuring our foreign allies that we want to work together, but pushing forward this very strong military message, uh, which I think highlights the conversations he'll have with Putin and Merkel and other leaders. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 tough and somber and dark. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, with with Pat, it was always, and I think with Trump, too, it's just uh, like the world is changing. And they see, you know, more and more people with dark skins, you know, and Latinos <laughs> taking over, becoming majority members in some states. And, and, and you know, this is all very frightening to them. Right, right, which is uh, clearly something I think is unfortunate. When the majority is worried about becoming the minority, they start to ostracize people who don't look like them and push these really hardline policies and ideas that, uh, you know, would include military action or just legislation that would keep people out, right? Whether it's the travel ban or or, or any of these things. Or building a wall. Or building a wall, (laughs) right. 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 Um, And then he also had sort of a veiled criticism of Russia, where we have to fight Russia, he said, like on like on every level. Here he is in Warsaw yesterday. To meet new forms of aggression, including propaganda, financial crimes, and cyber warfare, we must adapt our alliance to compete effectively in new ways and on all new battlefields. I am, mm. by the way, blown away at how well he kept it together during that speech. And I just mean that, like, he didn't ramble. He read he, it from the teleprompter. Yeah, right. but it's not always been his strongest no, thing. No, right, right. no, no, no. They, they corralled him. They've worked on him a lot to, right. to get that out. Because right. yeah. that was a fairly cogent speech. Yeah. Well, well, he had his moment during the press conference very yeah. early oh, in the morning yeah. where he was ad-libbing oh, yeah. and yeah. talking about fake media. Steam. Yeah. Right. So no, that no. was... Uh... But, no, but for that speech, yeah, he actually, they were complete sentences. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't uh, interrupt them with, uh, believe me, yeah. or repeating himself. He didn't the way scream he about the Electoral College for, win. Not not in the speech. He did, not of course. Not in the speech. Not yeah. speech. Um, but what, what got me there is that, so, is that he talks about competing with Russia or dealing with Russia on the cybersecurity area. And yet, as, pardon me, as you point out, earlier in the day in the news conference, um, he said, we're not really sure Russia did uh, the hacking. Right. Um, yeah, they, they maybe did, but maybe some other people did. Nobody really knows. Here he is. It was Russia, and I think it was probably others also, and that's been going on for a long period of time. But my big question is, why did Obama do nothing about it Right, right. Right. Well, and then he has that comment this morning, that tweet, rather, that everyone at the G20 is talking about John Podesta. Why didn't he turn over the DNC emails when he knew? No, what, who was talking about John Podesta at G20? And, and, and it's just so fascinating and confusing because if he doesn't bring it up, if he doesn't bring up Russian hacking into the 2016 election with Vladimir Putin today, why does he keep talking about it? Why is he the one who continues to bring up the conversation? He is obsessed with talking about the 2016 election. He mentions the Electoral College victory all the time when it's inappropriate, when it is totally irrelevant. So that leads me to believe that his obsession with the election should naturally come up with Putin. But I don't think it will. Everybody says it won't. I, I don't think it will because he's called it a political witch hunt time and again. He said yesterday morning that he, you know, maybe it was Russia, but also a ton of other people. So it wasn't just them. Bringing it up, I think, would vindicate it. And that's not the look he wants, uh, especially when he's going into this at a disadvantage already. Well, for one thing, just to pause there for a second, um, the idea that nobody knows, right? We have 17 intelligence agencies. He doesn't know how many we have. He said that also at the news conference Mm -hmm. yesterday, that there are really only three or four, right? Okay, Mr. Trump, there are 17. 
And they unanimously said Rush, it was Russia hacking. They didn't suggest that anybody else was doing it. Yeah, I don't know where that's coming from. Right. Well, it's just trying to downplay what really happened, I guess. Right. James Clapper was on CNN yesterday with talking with Jim Shuto, former head of the NSA, uh, asked about that point. Do, do you have any doubt or was there any objection from inside the intelligence community on that conclusion that Russia was behind these attacks? Absolutely none, and I don't have any doubt yet today. Yeah, there's no doubt. Right. And, and the idea right. to say nobody knows really, that's what Vladimir Putin says. Right, right. Well, and, and Hallie Jackson, MSNBC yesterday during the press conference mm -hmm. asked that great question that was like, your administration said it was mm -hmm. Russia. Why won't you say the same, right? So, so there's this divide between him and the rest of the administration, which is problematic for many reasons, but especially today, ahead of this meeting with Putin, when he is under great political pressure to ask about this question. Um, I think it'll be fascinating to see. It won't. But, you know, what if Putin brings it up? What if he himself is the one who says something about this issue? Um, but I, I don't think we could expect Donald Trump to bring it up. All right. So now we know, and I believe uh, it was first reported by Jonathan Swan uh, uh, for Axios. Mm -hmm. Uh, that in this meeting today, there yeah. are only going to be six people. Another fascinating thing. Right. So it's going to be uh, Donald Trump and Rex Tillerson mm -hmm. and Vladimir Putin and Alexei Lavrov. Sergei uh, Sergey Lavrov. Lavrov, the foreign, uh, Russian foreign minister, who, of course, at the last meeting with Donald Trump in the Oval Office, yucking right. it up with Sergei Kislyak, Donald Trump tells him state secrets, right? Right. Uh, so and then two translators. So mm -hmm. only the six of them. Now you tell me, who's the experienced team going into this meeting? Right, right. Well, and right, and these is... guys have been doing this for a long time. The Russians have, right, and right. you got a total novice as president and a total novice as secretary of state. Right. And by the way, we'll find out what is said in that meeting. Right. Lavrov like, will tell the world. Lavrov will tell everybody. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, Putin so just has expect? such an upper hand. He's been in office for a lot longer than Donald Trump. He is not the one under, you know, investigation for potential ties to his administration. Um, this meeting will be, it could go one of two ways, or Donald Trump could approach it one of two ways, right? The safe way and the Donald Trump way. The safe way is being diplomatic and uh, a leading politician on deals that he could strike with Russia that are of you know, the utmost importance to the U.S., helping uh, with counterterrorism efforts in Syria, asking for help with North Korea, um, talking about the situation in Ukraine. And another safe thing uh, would be talking about the Russian hack hacking into the 2016 election. He could also go the opposite way, right, which is uh, being the sort of brash bullish politician that he is who likes being a businessman first and a politician second, right? He does this thing, whether in speeches or one-on-one -on -one meetings, where um, he appeases the other person. He sort of panders to them. And doing that to Vladimir Putin would be terrible for optics, number one, uh, and for his presidency and his reputation and this investigation that is ongoing. Um, and he could not bring up the hacking into the election, and he could not ask about diplomatic ways to handle North Korea or or Syria. Um, Rex Tillerson will be there, which is interesting because we've seen how he's switched in a matter of days. I think it was two days, right? I think Monday Tillerson said, you know what? The Syria situation, 
uh, dealing with al-Assad is Russia's problem now. Two days later, he said, oh, actually, the U.S. is open to helping Russia mm. with counterterrorism mm. efforts in Syria. Mm. We're open to discussing instating no-fly zones in Syria, administering humanitarian aid. So that was a clear shift uh, ahead of this meeting that the administration is at least willing, and I think we can expect them to talk about plans for helping with counterterrorism efforts in Syria. Um, other than that, it's futile to try to guess what Donald Trump will say. But when you look at all, I mean, the one thing that Donald Trump specializes in, right, is having meetings with foreign right. leaders. I mean, he invites them in five a week, right? right. And, and from some countries we never even heard of. Right. Uh, but they're all the same, you know, little photo op, sometimes a joint news conference where nothing, no news is ever made other than bashing the media. Right. Um, and then, you know, they take the picture and then he'll tweet out, a wonderful meeting with the president of Poland yesterday. We, we have so much in common. Right. He does that right. for every, They're all the same. You right, could, right. Uh, and isn't that basically all we can expect from this meeting with Putin? I think so, especially when we think back to his meeting with China's president, uh, President Xi, right? Before no, it's wait, China's... That was a, different because they had the most beautiful piece of chocolate they cake. Did. Well, you know... Chocolate cake would make me very happy, no matter who was in company. But uh, you'll remember he said, you know, China's an economic manipulator. They're the worst. And then oh, they yeah. meet and yeah. everything is great. I know. So, so we can definitely expect that. But I'll I think the situation is- going to come out and say, we've, we've got such good friends. We have so many things to work together on. Right. You well, know. that's certainly what Russia wants. They want to normalize these relations. Yeah. Just yeah. last week, uh, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, said it would be a huge mistake not to normalize relations for the U.S. and Russia not to normalize relations. I don't think we can do that. Congress is imposing stricter sanctions on Russia as we speak. They're trying to uh, they're trying to tie Trump's hands with Russia, right, just to prevent him from warming up to the Kremlin and Putin and Russia at large more than many believe he already has. So if he's not going to, uh, you believe, not going to raise the issue of the hacking and the election, uh, which, by the way, he hasn't con he hasn't yet condemned right. or even even acknowledged. Right. right. Um, will he raise the? What are the chances that he'll raise the likelihood raise the issue of? Uh, by the way, you stole Crimea. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe you ought to give it back. Right. Yeah, that's no, done. That's, that's not. That ain't going to happen. No, no. No. He doesn't like conflict. Donald Trump doesn't like conflict. It goes back to what we were just saying. He loves, you know, almost pandering to these people, making it seem like everything is honky dory and we're friends. Or then, what um, about maybe you? Maybe you ought to get your troops out of uh, eastern Ukraine. Mm, yeah. No, I don't think he's. Especially again, he's a, he's a novice, a political novice compared to Putin, and they have two totally different strategies when it comes to both governing and just existing as human beings, I think. And uh, I think he'll try to avoid conflict as much as possible. So do you think Putin will bring his dog? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that was really mean. Trump could be scared of dogs. Like, yeah, yeah. Or maybe he'll just dogs. show up with like a flight of stairs. Yeah. Is it, yeah. <laughs> isn't he scared of that? Is he? Oh, my gosh. I would like to note um, there was a fascinating Politico morning consult poll from earlier this week. That, you know, basically asked people what Congress should prioritize, like what should be the top priority for Congress. Healthcare was number one, right? Proposing a healthcare reform bill. The second thing was investigating Trump Associates ties to the Kremlin during the 2016 election. The second thing, 55 percent of people considered that an important or a top priority for Congress to focus on, which I think is 
is really telling when, you know, there's tax reform, education reform, national security, yeah. right after health care. And for Trump to, you know, consistently cater to his base of voters and, you know, to no, represent is, the American people at large, that is I something didn't see that, Paul. That, that is considering. stunning. That it is. is stunning. Yeah. For the second most important issue. Now, and that's across the board, across the aisle. Now, you alluded to this a little earlier. I just wanted to, uh, to read the entire tweet. But we do know, pardon me now, what everybody, everybody, everybody in Hamburg is talking about. Not just at the G20, but all every coffee every shop in, in town, you know, every every right. classroom, everywhere, everywhere, people waiting in line at movies. Um, they're talking about this. This is what Donald Trump says. Everyone here is talking about why John Podesta refused to give the DNC server to the FBI and the CIA. Disgraceful. Yes, this is Donald Trump this morning from Hamburg. That's what he tweeted out. Right. I think this also, is our leader right. at, uh, with the G20, all those, all those, it's nice to know that all the, the heads of the 20 most powerful nations on earth went to Hamburg to talk about John Podesta. Right. He must feel pretty popular. I think he also, side note, tweeted something about Good morning to everyone, including the haters, was a Trump tweet this morning. <laughs> yeah. So, so well, what does that say a, about this obsession, with John, this obsession with John Podesta? It, uh, it's a follow-up to his press conference comments yesterday when he's just trying to blame the Democrats and Obama for Russian hacking into the election. He's trying to scapegoat, right? And And it just is sort of like a wild card distraction. And I know that everyone loves to say that everything he does is a distraction from the real issues and... And I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think it is all the time. But I think this is a calculated distraction. He is trying to further bolster his point that it was the Democrats' fault. His party had nothing to do with it. He didn't have anything to do with Russian hacking. He didn't know. It wasn't his fault. Um, and, and so this tweet this morning, especially just hours ahead of his meeting with Putin, serves as a way for him uh, to, to not bring it up. Right. It's another reason, another thing for him to say, look, everyone's talking so, about John Podesta. Everyone knows it was the Democrats. Why do I have to bring it up? Well, so Glenn Thrush is there from The New York Times. We know a lot right. of people who are there. Right. Holly right. Jackson's there from NBC. Jim Acosta's there from CBS. You get down the list. Right. If any one of them stood up on their network and said, here's the latest from Hamburg. Everyone here is talking about John Podesta <laughs> and why he didn't give it. They'd be fired right. in a second, right? Right, Because it's just nonsense. It is nonsense. Why don't... Well, I mean, uh, uh, unless they are. Maybe we're wrong. <laughs> Maybe they are. And we just don't know. Yeah, but... I think you make a good point about the distraction, right? Because so many people think that everything that Trump does on Twitter is some right. Machiavellian distraction. I just think he's just a dummy who cannot resist tweeting just whatever comes into his, into his head, right? He's just like right. a Fox News grandpa. Right. But, like, I do think that he has a couple of things that he will just pivot to to get people talking right. about it, right? So it's Hillary and her emails. It was still, he's talking about Hillary and her emails. He's right. like, he tweeted about it again last week. John Podesta. You know, like, he's got a couple things that he will automatically pivot to so he doesn't have to talk Obama about Obama and the Russians. Right. Obama and the Russians, right. yeah. Right. And he just keeps that in his back pocket right. and pulls it out. I don't think he's so calculating and so smart right. that he he's running a, another game to uh, <laughs> multi-dimensional chess. Yeah, I don't think that's his game. Right. I, I do think that's a good point. Uh, another poll, a Fox News poll, in fact, last week, found that 71% of Americans think that Trump's tweets hurt his agenda, which that's 
for Fox News, you know, when Republicans, mm-hmm. we had a survey that like 33% of Republicans only get their news from Fox News. Um, when they have a survey saying 71% think it hurts his agenda, I think this is one example that helps his agenda. This is one example. Tweeting about John Podesta is something that helps his agenda for the day, not long term at all, especially because this investigation is ongoing and the truth will come out at some point. But it helps his daily agenda by saying, look, everyone here is talking about John Podesta. Everyone here agrees with me that it's the, de- the, the fault of the Democrats. So I don't have to bring it up today because it's not my party. It's not my problem. Right. Alexa McCammon is here from Axios, Axios.com. Now, one of the reasons Donald Trump was glad to go to Europe was because um, it got him away from North Korea. I mean, not mm-hmm. really, but right. he's not talking about it. Right. What? He's going to have to. I, I was just <laughs> we say, are running out of options. When he comes back, it's going to hit him right. slam in right. the face, right? right, if not before. Well, I mean, what, and what his are... administration is, is has been talking about Nikki Haley's comments the other day on Wednesday, I believe, were a very hard line against North Korea, saying we are running out of diplomatic solutions for handling North Korea. Uh, the top American general in South Korea said that self-restraint is the only thing keeping the U.S. and South Korea from going to war with North Korea. Also on Wednesday, this statement was made. So his administration is clearly taking this seriously. Obviously, he's dealing with other things, so he'll deal with it when he gets back. But um, I think it's getting to a point where we're going to have to take actions that we haven't yet, not necessarily nuclear war, right? And he said yesterday that we are considering severe actions against North Korea, but those are thoughts, not actual plans. He made that distinction. Um, but what, 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 what it possible military action right. should we take? Right. I mean, it's all bluster. It's all talk. And right, they know right, that. Right. It, well, exactly. And also, it would be a costly, messy, deadly situation to strike against North Korea. Cool. Seoul is 35 miles north of the, or uh, not south, north, just south. south, right, of the North Korean border, 10 million people. Um, there was a report last year from Austin that said striking. North Korea would have the same effect as if we dropped 11 B-52 bombers. That's huge. That it just yeah. it, like the collateral damage is terrible. It's terrible for the US. There are, you know, it presents a global threat, right? But there are few global interests in the US and North Korea going to war, meaning we could not expect Russia, Beijing, other nations to help us because what's in it for them? Right. Right. Like there's very few global interests with this and we would almost be acting alone. And I think that is a big enough reason not to take military action. But but until last week, maybe uh, Donald Trump's answer for North Korea was going to be China's going to take care of it. Don't worry. Right. You don't have to worry about it because my but my buddy, President G, we had the chocolate right. cake together. He's going to take care of North right. Korea. Right. China yeah. hasn't done squat. Right. Well, and even back during the campaign, he he uh, floated the idea of using our economic leverage over China to coerce them into helping us with North Korea. He's still been doing that. And now I think he's realizing we cannot coerce them through economic yeah, no. leverage. It's not helpful. And also you can't do it through tweets. Right. Right. Well, that's the thing, too. It's like, is he calling them or is he just tweeting and hoping they see it? And then it's like, well, they didn't answer my tweets. So I'm going to. Right. He's just like yeah. assuming they're going to see his tweets, I think. Right. Right. Um, because part of the other thing is like. W- this is like getting maybe a little too wonky, but like you look at things like the State Department briefings, right, which aren't happening. Those are the ways that we communicate with other countries. We don't really think about that, but you look at things as as sort of wonky and inside as a like a State Department press briefing. Right. Other countries' press 
or other countries' state departments are watching those to see what it is that we're talking about and where we stand on things. And so since we're not doing that, we just have his tweets. Right. Which right. is kind of horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, totally different topic. You have written about um, drones, uh, so a domestic use of drones, right? Yes. Not a military use of drones. Not a military use of drones. So uh, and Dubai, not in this country. Not in this country. Dubai's police force rolled out the first ever uh, robocar drone duo. So it's a robot police car that has whoa, a whoa, drone whoa. So companion. No, no, right. There's a robot car. No, no one's no driving police. it. Um, it's small. It's it's funny looking. Yeah. It's on Axios uh, on our website. There's a video of how it works. But it's a small robot police car that doesn't go more than a stroll's pace and has a drone companion that sits on top of the car but can detach from the car and sort of do surveillance in areas that the car Whoa. couldn't reach. Uh, it has a machine learning algorithm, so it's like always learning when it's patrolling the streets. And it has a face recognition uh, tech system that allows it to help better identify suspects. Whoa! So it's it's very futuristic, and it shows that Dubai is taking this is the police seriously, department, right? Right. Right. And so one telling thing. Uh, According to the Washington Post report on this, Dubai wants to Dubai wants twenty five percent of its police force to be robots by the year twenty thirty. Whoa! Which is just wild to me. And I don't know if it's just these robot cars with drones or if it's different type of robots. Um, but I don't know. Like Dubai has a relatively low crime rate, yeah. right? The only other place I could see this working immediately is uh, somewhere like Singapore, perhaps. Is, um, um, are these drones armed? Armed? Do they have? It's for surveillance only. Surveillance so, only. So yeah. yeah, right. So so that's an interesting thing too, right? If they had guns, that would be terrible. But uh, yeah, it's just for surveillance. Do you know that any police forces in this country are yet examining the same thing? Not that I know of. All right, there's your next assignment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> take the weekend off, though, first. Right, Alexa, I'll try. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for Check having Check it me. out at Axios.com. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday. This is The Bill Press Show. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.